Welcome to our listeners. Welcome back to the Alice in Wonderland podcast. I'm Georgia Alice and thank you once again for joining us as we dive down yet another exciting uh, rabbit hole together. Today's guest is uh, Michael Laurier and I'm really excited to get curious with Michael. So Michael helps men connect a strong set of powerful core values and well-defined purpose. His driving principles are ones of meaning and contribution, believing that a man embodies masculinity when he leads his family and community towards positive change and self-improvement with courage and deep connection. Michael has been guiding men for 15 years to live with an attitude of legacy and the intention to leave humanity better because he engaged in a purpose and vision that was bigger than himself. He is the author of the best-selling book, Forging Excalibur, Rediscover Your Masculinity, and the creator of Forging Excalibur, The 12-Month Hero's Journey. I know Michael, and he lives here in Melbourne, uh, when he's married, and he has three children. So I actually know Michael, and Michael's been on the podcast before, so I'm really excited to have him back. So welcome back, Michael. Hey, Georgia. Thanks. It's good to be hey, back again. A lot's, a lot's happened since the last time I had you on the podcast. I think it was two years ago would that be about right coming up for two years it was a probably about two years ago yeah and a lot yeah a lot has happened i think both of us have grown a lot since then haven't we absolutely absolutely so because you've been on the podcast before there is a question that i generally ask the same question that i ask every guest but i'm going to have to change it for you because i've already asked it so um i've got a, a different question similar theme but slightly different for you today so i, I want you still to imagine that I am seven-year-old Alice making my way through Wonderland and I bump into you and I look at you and I say, Michael, what excites you about this point in time that we're living in right now? Seven years old. Seven years old. Yeah. Why are you excited by what's going on in the world at the moment? I'm excited. I'm excited because absolutely anything is possible anything that you want to be in life or um, anything that you want to do in life is possible and on the flip side of that alice then goes well then what worries you the most about what's going on in the world at the moment i think that uh, people will people are people are forgetting who they are so let's unpack that a little bit more. So how, how can you explain that, not to a seven-year-old, but to our listeners? Why do you see that people are forgetting who they are? How does that unfold for you? So what I've observed is that with the coronavirus and with a lot of stuff even now over the last few days around racism and all sorts of different things that are happening, and when we go even deeper with things like mandatory vaccinations and a lot of stuff that's just happening in society about and i think it really challenges people to the core around their ability to make good choices as a result of a lot of propaganda and indoctrination in society and i think people have forgotten about their sovereignty and i think they've also I think they also question their liberties and their freedoms as human beings. Mm. And so, but I also see a lot of people waking up to all of that as well. So I also see there's, there's a bit of a, bit of a cross section of society at the moment. A lot of people are getting drawn into the, to the stuff. I'll just call it the stuff because there's a lot of stuff there, right? It's just drawn into the stuff. And, but there's also a lot of people that are removing themselves from that and, and forging their own path, yeah. which is a good thing to see. One of the words that you used there was the word sovereignty. And mm. I hear that banted around a lot. And I, 
you know, if you'd mentioned that word to me a few years ago, I wouldn't have known what that actually meant. So for our listeners, what, what would you, how would you describe our sovereignty? What does that, what does that mean to you and to our listeners um, as we're moving through this unusual time in, in history? So I think sovereignty can mean different things to different people, really. I don't know the actual Webster's definition, but I can, I can well, say for I'm not me, asking for you to be Webster. I'm just asking you to be Michael Laurier. <laughs> but for me, I think it means um, having the ability and the, and the sense of freedom as a person to make our own decisions untainted and unpolluted um, by whatever's happening externally to us as as individuals. Yeah. So yeah. what And it's really about free thinking, I think. Yeah. And what do you yeah. think? Yeah. I I'm agreeing with you there on that basis. And I'd love to get your thoughts around what you believe allows a person to have that free thinking. Now I'm going to preempt that question because even though people think <laughs> they have free thinking, mm. most of the time it's not and they don't realize that. So can you unpack that a little further for us? Around free thinking? Yeah, free thinking. Yeah, yeah. What's, what allows someone to have that? How do you know that your thoughts are actually your thoughts? So that's a difficult one because we don't always know that our thoughts are our thoughts unless we're consciously aware of our thoughts and where they come from. Um, but having said that, I think there's a lot to be said for discernment, especially in our society these days. So I think we have to start to uh, really get deeply in touch with ourselves and connected with ourselves and understand um, and be connected with what serves us and what feels right for us as opposed to going with the crowd or, or really just following the flock and so discernment I think is really important when we can start to discern what serves us and what doesn't and we make some good decisions from that place um, then I think we're acting and behaving in ways that might be seen as sovereign yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So really practicing that, the power of, of noticing what you're thinking and potentially where those thoughts have come from, using discernment. Yeah, from. awesome. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. So, so I want to um, rewind a little bit and what I said earlier um, when I mentioned that you and I had a chat two years ago and a lot has happened between now and then. So I think the last time we spoke, it was a conversation around relationships. Mm. And I know you're still working in that, in that field, but things have changed quite dramatically for you in the last two years. So can you share with us a little bit about what's happened since the last time we had you on the podcast? Yeah, definitely. So two years ago would have been before I even wrote the book. I think it was, it's about a year and a bit, a year and a month since I wrote the book. So two years ago, I was working with couples, but I was also working with men in, in, in all of that too. And what was happening for me? So I was going through a bit of a period of time as well where I was kind of, um, I think, redefining who I was as a person and who I wanted to serve and how I wanted to have this, you know, make a dent on the universe, if you like, in some way. And I was trying to find that zone of genius within me. So it was very much a time for me about deep, deep reflection and an understanding and connecting with, with who I had become as a result of my experiences and what I had to do on that journey to become this person. And, um, and for me, it was really around adversity. So there was a lot of adversity in my life for probably 10 years or so, that I, maybe closer to 15, that I just didn't know how to deal with very well. And so um, when, I, when I started to backtrack and connect those dots backwards, as we say, I started to understand and realise that it was a journey of not just self-awareness, but it was a journey of finding meaning and purpose in life and also a journey of understanding what was at my core in terms of values and who I wanted to become and who I wanted to serve. So back then I was really in this transitional phase where I'd, I'd, I'd been working with people for many, many years, but I hadn't still found that, I don't want to call it niche really, but I hadn't found that zone, that place that I wanted to be in and the people that I wanted to serve. So how did you, so that was two had, years ago. yeah, that was two years ago. So how did you come about establishing, first of all, you know, what made you write the book? Like, where did that come from? 
Well, that was actually something that my wife and I, were every, at the end of each year, we get together and we kind of go, what did we do this year? And what do we want to achieve next year? It's not about New Year's resolutions or even goals. It's like, what do we want to be talking about and what do we want to have done in 12 months' time? And I said, next year, I'm going to write a book. And at that point, that was in like November, the year before. So that was November 8, 19, uh, 2018. November 2018. And I said, I'm going to write this book because I've been meaning to write a book at that point for years, but I just didn't know what to write. And I didn't even know what I wanted to write about and whether I even had a book in me. And so I said, next year, 2019, is going to be the year I write a book. And then as we moved into the year, I procrastinated and I procrastinated a little bit more, but then I started to come up with the concept of what I wanted and I knew it was going to be a book for men, more specifically for men. It is for women. Women can read it too, but it's more for men. And then I engaged in this program called Thinking Into Results with you. And part of that was, was facing our terror barrier, if you remember. And I made a commitment that my terror barrier, and I knew what it was, it was about actually writing the book and feeling like I had relevance in terms of writing a book and that I had enough to offer that people would read it and it would have some, um, and it would engage people and have a positive effect on them as well. And so it was in that period of time. And I think we, I think you gave us, I think it was a month. We had a month in order to move past or move through our terror barrier. And so it was in that month, Georgia, when I came up with the title and the structure and actually wrote the book in that in three weeks and then got it off to the editor by the time we all got back on our group zoom call again and um yeah so that was that was a that was a that was an undertaking that was yeah. and I, I love that you did and by the way just to reiterate for any women listening i've read the book and it's a, an amazing book to read it does i think it's a wonderful view from a woman to see how we can actually work with and, and walk alongside our male partners for those of us who have male partners or the men in our lives um, to help them be the best versions of themselves. So it is a really powerful book in that respect. Um, so talk to us more around this. So how did you, the, the structure of your book and the story through the book, because it's a, it's got a really beautiful, it's called Forging Excalibur. Excalibur is a sword. And I, I, I know mm. that I used to love watching all of the old Merlin <clears throat> movies when I was growing up with my, with my father, we used to watch those movies and all the Knights movies. So talk a little bit more around the relationship between the knight and, you know, helping, helping men. How does this, how does this concept work and how does it help men? So there's, the, there's really the journey of how a sword is, is forged. And then I liken that to the adversity and the journey that a man goes through in life. But in terms of when we look at men who are on their journey to become knights back in the day, back in, back in medieval times, they, they, in, they embodied all of these attributes that I talk about in the book, which are the seven standards of man. And, that, and, and plus on top of that as well, there's a lot more. There's things like, you know, these men had to be a different version of themselves in order to even qualify to become a knight. And it wasn't all about learning how to be a good soldier and how to fight with a sword. More, more than that, it was about uh, having valour, which is really about courage in the face of adversity. There were virtuous attributes they embodied on this journey as well, such as what I talk about in the book, the seven standards of men, which are integrity. I've got to try and reel them off now. Integrity. Um, strength, courage, self-actualization, purpose, compassion, and responsibility, 100% responsibility. Um, so there's all of these, and the virtues, of course. So our, our behaviors and, our, and having a sense of high moral values. And I'm of the strong opinion that all of these virtuous attributes and traits that men embodied on their journey to become knights, a lot of them are missing in men these days. And so... The idea behind the book was to remind men who we used to be. And if we take away the barbaric aspect of medieval times, who did we used to be? We used to be these men who were revered and respected because we showed up in society with an attitude of service and contribution. And we had some purpose in terms of what we do as well and, and service to the community. So knights and even men who are on their journey to become knights they had to substantiate the fact that they were 
worthy of that. And so service to the, service to the king and the kingdom was very important. And it was really about take, bringing all of those attributes and traits back from medieval times and bringing them into the current modern world and go, hey, this is what we used to be. This is who we used to be. Let's start to think about embodying some of those attributes now so that we can become better, more contributing members of society and actually be good role models for our children too. So taking, taking the, the best aspects of our, our history, men's history as knights and bringing it into the, the world now and helping men to you know, self-actualize, which is something I want to talk about. When you said the word self-actualization, mm -hmm. it just really piqued my interest because I'm doing a lot of work in that space at the moment. Um, I'd love for you to delve a little deeper. Now, this is not just for men, but for every, every human on the planet. What, what's your interpretation and what do you believe self-actualization to mean? How do we know when we're self-actualized? I think, I think we can go on the journey to become self-actualized, but, but self-actualized really in the definition of the word is about achieving our ultimate state of almost perfection or, or, or reaching our highest potential. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we, none of us can actually get to the point of perfection, but we can, certainly, we can certainly go on a journey towards achieving our highest potential. Beautiful. And so I might just, I might just share, I've got a copy of my book here, just um, conveniently so. Uh, why, don't, why don't I read from the book very quickly? So what I say about self-actualization is the desire to fully realize your potential and embrace your unique individuality on the quest to become a fully embodied man. Yeah, beautiful. There's yeah. a lot of work being done around um, looking at self-actualization from um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs um, mm. at the moment, a lot of rework being done around that. And it's really interesting how they, they use self-actualization. And one of the things that's starting, they're starting to discover, which is really linked to what you're doing here, what they're starting to discover with Maslow's early work was that self-actualization when we reach that goal it's about our ability to give back mm. it's about being of service um yeah. and about we get to a state where we have been able to have our needs met but most importantly know that our needs you know it's it's a moving scale you know every situation some people were pre uh, uh, coronavirus had all their needs met then all of a sudden they're gone um mm. so it's it's a really ability to bounce up and down, but self-actualization is this level of being able to master and be resourceful in those sort of situations. But also the biggest thing about self-actualization is how do you turn around and help those, um, help other human beings along the journey. So mm -hmm. I think that fits really nicely with what you're doing with uh, forging Excalibur. So yeah, beautiful work. Yeah, thank you. And I think self-actualization so self sits on the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs after the physiological needs and the psychological needs are met. And one of the things that I, that I say to people a lot is at the beginning of your journey of self-discovery, there's no need for you to try to be self-actualized because what we have to do first is we've got to try and um, meet our other needs first because we can't be of service to others until we can uh, meet those basic needs for ourselves. Survival and emotional needs um, are very important as human beings. Yeah. And so if we don't if we don't have those basic needs met, then we can't even begin to think about going on the journey towards being self actualized um, if we're still struggling just to survive. Yeah, and I think too there's a there's a space there for us to consider self actualization and having our needs met depending on the culture that you're in as well. So you could go to the far flung regions of northern Australia and be thrown into an indigenous culture, and you'll find that they they all of their basic needs are met: community, food, shelter. But it's not what we consider food and shelter to be. And you'll find that they're self-actualizing because they're bringing their, their best to the forefront. They're helping serve their community. And there's a lot going on in that. So I think there's also mm -hmm. the ability for us to look at it from a different culture scape as well. Um, and knowing that self-actualization is going to be different depending where you live in the world. Yeah, that's a great perspective. And then you, then you take us out of where we are in our little bubble. And then you go put us in the middle of the Northern Territory in Australia in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden we're right down the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs again. 
Yeah, because we don't know how to forage for food. We don't know what's, you know, what, what mm -hmm. if we went out there, you know, what fish is a good fish and what, um, yep, what berry exactly. is going to be give us nutrition. I remember just on a side note here, I remember being in the Northern Territory with a, with a guide and he was taking me on a, um, it was just hitting myself and the guide and we were driving along and some ants ended up on his um, windshield. So he stopped the car and pulled it over and gave one of them to me to eat. And he goes, you've got to eat one of these fire ants. I said, you're kidding me, aren't you? He goes, no, eat one of the ants. And I ate it. It was the most beautiful little um, lemony, limey, lemongrassy tasting little thing. And he goes, yeah, they're really the indigenous people eat them. Wow. So you Was just, it still you know... alive when you ate it? <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm digressing. But I thought that was really interesting. Like we... We don't know what we don't know. And a lot of us uh, rely, we rely on so many things external from us, the supermarket, um, you know, the, the rubbish collectors, you know, all these different things that society has built around us. We rely on the system heavily and mm. we've forgotten that how we can actually hmm, self-actualize and be resourceful, digressing yeah. slightly. Um, <laughs> one of the things that um, I want to chat about is, the process that you or the program that you take men on, because I know from the book, your book became a bestseller and then um, you've created a program based on that to help men, to walk men through and to mentor them through a process. Can you unpack a little bit more around that and how that works? Yeah, I can. So it's a 12 month process and it's a 12 month program and it's called the hero's journey. And I called it the hero's journey because a lot of my work is based on Joseph Campbell's work around the hero's journey and also Carl Jung's work around the psyche. And so when I combined the two, I found that there was a really beautiful fusion of um, work around the psyche, but also taking men on a foundational journey of self-discovery and self-awareness. So to give you an example of that, in month one of the 12-month journey, we start with limitlessness right so this is around our potential for limitlessness and we just explore that and we have these really good interactive interactive discussions on a live zoom call and then there are actually activities for the guys to do over the next month and as you know and as a lot of your listeners will know because i know you talk about this a lot it's about repetition right so when you do something repetitively and consistently consistently over a, over a period of time it starts to embed in the subconscious mind and this is why I've expanded this out rather than doing it over 12 weeks, which I was going to, I've done this over 12 months because when over 12 months, you can go very deep and very wide into one principle in one month. And so when we start to open these guys' minds to their potential for limitlessness and that whatever they believe or imagine they can create and they start to really get this, it's, and there's a point about two to three weeks into the month where the guys kind of go, wow, I'm starting to really understand how much I've limited myself over the years and how much more potential I probably have that's untapped and unrealized. And I can't remember who said this, but there's a beautiful quote that I love and it goes, a man's greatest burden is his unrealized potential. I don't remember who said that. I don't but know who said it either, quote. but it's beautiful. It's a wonderful quote. It really is. And so that's really the theme around the first month. And so we get through that and the guys are now, their consciousness has expanded because their possibilities are now endless. And then we move into month two and I won't go through the whole 12 months, but I think like the first two or three, four months are really pivotal because as I said, it's a foundational process. Then we go into the next month, which is around 100% ultimate responsibility. And that's one of the seven standards of men. So once you realize your potential for limitlessness and then you talk about, okay, now let's look at our life and we take 100% ultimate responsibility for all the results that we're getting in our life. You start to look at this so, at so much of a deeper level because now you're limitless, right? Now you're limitless. So where are you not taking responsibility for your relationship, your financial situation, your position as a father, the career, your purpose in life, all this sort of stuff, right? And we explore that for a month. And then we start to go into, in the, in the subsequent couple of months, we go into core values and purpose. And so the first four months, and in there as well, there's a weekend workshop and masterclass where we all get together 
as in, in person, which we'll be able to do again soon. And so over this whole journey, we go really deep into all these principles and the guys become different versions of themselves at every stage of the process. Plus, because they're in a, a private Facebook group together and they're interacting with each other and they also get to catch up with each other every three months in person um, for a weekend workshop and masterclass, there's a brotherhood that forms between them as well. And so these 10 to 15 men over this 12-month period go on this journey together of learning and discovering and being a student and becoming different versions of themselves along the way and forming this beautiful brotherhood. And then by the end of the 12 months, we then go on a seven-day retreat in the wilderness where every man actually forges his own ceremonial sword, which is obviously a symbol of the journey that he's just gone on and the different version of himself that he's become. So, yeah, a lot of thought went into this program, but, <laughs> but it's... Um, but uh, yeah, I really wanted to create something that was meaningful um, and would actually almost be, I've said this on another podcast and I kind of said, I'm, I'm envisioning that this is the 12 months that the men will go on this journey and this will be the most intense personal development that they ever do in their whole lives. And this sets the stage for future growth from there. Yeah, beautiful. I love, I love what you're doing there around creating this, this beautiful brotherhood or community, because I think a lot of us are losing connection and connection is one of, one of, we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, you know, connection mm -hmm. and is one of those things. And I think not just men, but a lot of us nowadays are missing that connection. So you've created this beautiful platform where they have the ability, where your participants have the ability to, you know, continually chat, keep conversations open, but then when we're allowed, when restrictions are moved, meeting person. Mm. And that's, mm. um, that's, that's profound in this day and age to be able to have those experiences. So I am. Um, yeah, because one of the. I was going to say, I was going to ask you a question. So. Go for it. If, now I, I don't know typically whether the men that you're taking on the program are single or they're in relationships, but let's say. I am the partner of a male, uh, a man who is needing potentially to do your program or is on your program. As a woman, how could I either support or encourage them through that journey? What role do I play in giving that support to someone that's really important to me in my life? So when we go on this journey of self-discovery, there's a lot of stuff that comes up that we don't we, we aren't always ready for or we don't always expect and so the way that we can support a partner going through a journey like this is to i guess allow them space to explore that but what we'll also there's also benefits to this it's not just about um, creating space to allow them to grow that's really probably the main thing but what you do experience as well is you experience a better quality version of your partner along the way because they're becoming more self-aware and they're taking more responsibility and they're starting to create more direction and deeper purpose and understanding what they value at a really deep level. And so as a result of that, the relationship with that you have with him will start to improve because he'll be more present and engaged. And so the way that you can meet him and support him in that journey is to meet him in that engagement. So when he starts to engage with you at a deeper level, meet him there. And, and I think the other big part around this as well is that what I've said to the guys at the very beginning of the program is to let go of, and we do this as part of the first month, let go of who you think you are and who you think you're going to become and release attachment to all of that. There's no blame, there's no responsibility. Uh, sorry, there's no blame, there's no fault is only taking responsibility from this point onwards. And I encourage their partners to do the same thing, to go, okay, well, cool, we're at this point, he's going on this journey of self-discovery, so now it's time to try to let go as much of the, whatever, whatever has brought you to this point as possible, that doesn't serve you. And things like that are, you know, resentment and bitterness and all those things that can sometimes manifest in relationships over long periods of time when there's very little self-awareness between mm. the two people and i just want to add to that too from my own experience and that is that i think 
as a partner supporting somebody on their own individual journey of growth, it's really important for us to not be attached to the outcome ourselves of mm. hoping that they'll be this particular version of themselves. Also being attached to the speed of transformation, wanting it all to happen now when everyone is unique and the journey will take however long it takes. Um, and also looking at what sort of things it is, and I hate using this word triggers, but what sort of things that triggers within ourselves um, and potentially what work we may need to do as well to help support not only our partner through the change, but what is it showing about myself that potentially is something that's unresolved? Because I think it's a beautiful journey when, um, when there is a relationship, that if both people are moving forward together, that um, some people take different, different amounts of time for that transformation. Mm. And everyone has their own unique way of doing it too. So, and I think it's just around, you know, as a partner to sit back and, and support as best we can, but also be have non-attachment to the outcome yeah i agree and a good maybe a good word to replace that word trigger might be um feedback because when we when we think of it as feedback it's we don't judge it as positive or negative in any way it's just it just is right so then when we receive this feedback we can then make a good choice about how we internalize interpret that and then whatever whatever it is that we do with that we'll do it better um if we have reframed this into feedback instead of a trigger because yeah. a trigger is a little bit triggering for people, isn't it? <laughs> it's almost like I've been triggered and now I have to react. Whereas if we get feedback, we can learn to respond. Yeah. That's a beautiful yeah. way of, um, a beautiful way of putting it. Thank you so much. So some of the, your, you yourself have been on an interesting journey. So um, I know that part of your trials and tribulations um, mentioned through the book. So what, what have you found through your own journey and what parts of it show up in the, show up in the book for people to be able to move themselves forward? The parts of my own journey that show up in the book, I hope that most of my journey shows up in a book somewhere, somewhere along the way. But I think if I was to put my finger on one part of it, it was the fact that for over a decade, I lived entirely unconsciously, entirely unconsciously. I had no real depth of self-awareness. I was acting from what Carl Jung calls the shadow, which is all of those disembodied parts of myself that I'd repressed and suppressed and avoided and, and, and denied for years and years and years. And I didn't know that until I was creating results that got me to a point in life where I declared bankruptcy. I almost took my own life. Um, I was almost homeless at one point. Thank goodness for my parents who had some money and helped me. But, um, but at that point, I'd, I'd, I'd created this result in life that forced me to really look within because I'd run out of people to blame and I'd run out of things to find fault with. And I think it's unfortunate, but with men, it's not until we get to that point that we start to go, hang on a second, there must be something else happening here. And some people get to that and some people don't. Um, but that, that really, I, I hope that's, I hope that's really, that really, you can see that through the book, which is really about um, take responsibility, build a level of self-awareness, um, practice deep self-reflection, um, and begin to think about who it is that you want to become, as opposed to who you are, but who you want to become. Yeah, powerful way of looking looking at yourself, isn't it? Not who you are, but yeah. who, who you can be. One thing that I'd love to go down a rabbit hole with you is, is around what you mentioned around Jung, uh, Jung's um, shadow self. So can you unpack that? You mentioned it, you know, in about a sentence. Can you unpack that yeah. further so people can understand a little bit more about what that means and potentially some examples? So the shadow is the unconscious mind and the unconscious mind is programmed from a very, very young age. And, and it's programmed based on our experiences of life, the things that we hear repetitively, the things that we, um, the things that we witness repetitively. Um, and that, that basically creates these paradigms which are in the unconscious mind and that's your shadow. And then there's things that happen in our lives that we may, we may experience adversity or we may experience some kind of suffering or pain. And instead of dealing with that pain, we suppress it. 
and the suppression becomes an unmet need over time. And that unmet need we then seek externally in other people and in other situations. And that might be we go on this quest for success in the modern sense of the word. We might, uh, we might damage relationships or sabotage relationships because we've got all of these unmet unconscious needs. We might go on this journey towards achieving financial wealth and we don't even understand why. And a lot of it, and we know that it's unconscious because a lot of it is undefined. We can't actually define it. So if someone says to you, why is money so important to you, for instance, you'll go, well, because I can have things. And that'll be the extent of it. If somebody pushes a little bit deeper and tries to dig a little bit deeper, there's nothing there because it's all unconscious. And so the shadow that Carl Jung talks about is all of these aspects that we've suppressed and things that we just haven't dealt with properly. And they manifest in our lives unconsciously and they turn up as results. So how do you undesirable? Yeah. So how do you help? So through the, through the program, how are you helping your participants to identify that and then potentially transmute that and do something with it? So we can always find what's in our unconscious mind when we look at our results. So when we look at our results in life, if we're, if our relationship is not working, if our financial situation is a struggle, um, if we don't feel meaningful and purposeful in the job or career or business that we're, that we're doing, then we, our friendships, our circle of people that we hang out with, all those, all those parts of our lives, if we're not getting the results that we want, um, then we look at our results first. We look at the results and then we work backwards from there. And so how do you then, so you've, you've identified, let's say, uh, relationships. I can see now that I've had toxic relationships all my life. So this is a result of potentially something running at the subconscious level that is preventing me from creating, you know, nourishing relationships. How do I then, what, what does somebody do to then change that? How do you, how do you move past that? So again, the first thing is to take responsibility because we, we can only take responsibility for ourselves. So we take responsibility for the results that we create. And then we go, okay, cool. Well, where is there a need within me that I'm not meeting myself that I'm seeking externally? And it's really, it's, you know, it's a real, you talk about rabbit holes a lot. Um, it's a real rabbit hole. Like it's, it's just a rabbit hole. We have to go down the rabbit hole and we have to start exploring where this unmet need is, what it is, where we're not self-validating and we're looking for it externally because we will um, project a lot externally. We'll project a lot onto other people um, to meet an unconscious need. And so when we start to delve a little bit deeper and go down the rabbit hole and figure out what that need is that we're trying to get met, we can learn to meet it ourselves. And then we find that we don't project that outwards and we don't place these expectations on somebody else to meet them for us. So is there a part of your life where because you know you've written you've written the book and it's got all these amazing stories and um, tips and tools throughout it. Is there something in your life where you realised you found something in the shadow self and you're able to change that? Can you give us an example, a personal example of what it was you discovered and then how you took responsibility to change it? Yeah. So it was at that real pivotal point in my life where I had almost taken my life, and I had to look at myself very deeply because prior to that I blamed my children's um, my, my two older children's mother for all of the issues that we'd had throughout the divorce and family court etc etc it was all her fault she was to blame and I hadn't done anything wrong and so at that it was at that point where I really looked at myself and went well let's just pretend for a second that it's not all her fault, that maybe I have to take some responsibility here for, what would I take responsibility for if I had to? And then it was about having a look at my own behaviour and my own, you called them triggers before, my own, the feedback that I was getting from within, paying a bit more attention to that and going, where can I take responsibility for my part in co-creating this experience? And so as soon as I did that, Georgia, as soon as I did that and I went, wow, okay, so I've reacted instead of responded. I've felt the need to attack and defend instead of just be present. Um, and so how can I change that? And, and it was 
the process of, it was a very difficult process, but it was a process over about a month or six weeks that I went on before the next family court date, because I knew that at that next family court appearance, I was going to either be awarded my children to, to see my children or not again. And it had already been 18 months since I'd seen them. So I really wanted to see them. And so the version of myself that turned up to family court that day was very different from who had turned up previously because I'd taken responsibility and I stood there in court and I apologised and I said, um, I basically said, I apologise for how, I, how I've represented myself up until now. I realise the mistakes that I've made and I understand what I need to do to move forward. And I verbalised this to a magistrate in a court of law. And he looked at me with different eyes. And he, he's, I think he just saw me from a different perspective. And it was in that, in that sitting that he actually um, allowed me to see my children again. Whereas previously, if I had have turned up as I, as I was, the result would have been very different. It, I would have just continued, the same result would have continued. Yeah. So a question for you, were you, did you have all these realizations on your own or was there a mentor, a coach or somebody supporting you through the process? Um, I, I can't say I had all the realizations on my own. I had, I, there was no mentor or coach back then. I was seeing a counselor um, and we didn't really have social media like we do now back then, not to the same extent anyway. And so there wasn't the resources available um, like we do now. So it was that Napoleon Hill book, um, Think and Grow Rich, that was part of it. So that was definitely a big part of it. I was reading that over that four weeks or so. And it was really about going, it was my, it was my own self-reflection to a large extent saying, what, I've, what I'm getting here is not what I want. So how do I need to do something else to get something that I do want? And this was very simple language back then because I didn't know how to even verbalize this properly like I do now, but it was very much about, I'm not getting what I want. How do I get what I want? I want to see my kids. So what do I have to do? And it's like, well, I've been blaming her all this time. That doesn't work. So maybe I need to look at something else. And so it was really this journey of self-responsibility. Mm. So do you, do you think that people, because what I'm hearing here is that you had a, it was more of a self-realization on a journey of yourself that took, you know, expanded out over a period of time. Do you think that may have been different if you had, if it was in today's, you know, day and age where we have people who are available to mentor and coach and potentially educate? Do you believe that that could change the length of time it takes for those sort of realisations? Or do you still think that, you know, people can do it on their own? I think people can do it on their own, given, but not, but not usually. Yeah. Given because because I'd because I'd created this result over four or five years and the damage that it was caused over those four or five years to myself, my children, my environment, just everything was unnecessary. It was absolutely unnecessary. Had I had a coach or a mentor back then, um, as you're right, the time frame to go from unconscious Michael to more conscious Michael would have been much shorter. And my children and myself wouldn't have gone through that 18 months of not seeing each other. And there would have been very different results yeah. for all of us. I'm glad you say that because as you're speaking, I'm going back to a massive turning point in my life, which was funny enough, a, a divorce. Um, and I'm looking at what happened there. And I sometimes think, oh, you know, I did it all on my own. But if I really reflect back, I had... Um, I had support from coaches, mentors. I'm going to use the word therapist, but they weren't therapists. They were um, they were more in the modality of of coaching. So it wasn't therapy sessions. It was more coaching sessions. But coaching wasn't a term back then. So, um, and then I I had family members supporting me, giving me books, taking me to seminars. So if I hadn't have had like you had this realization that was coming from all different angles. So there was um, family, external people, books, media, no social media back then. Um, mm. I don't think I'd be the person I am today. A hundred percent. Yeah, I can relate to that. A hundred percent. And it really catapulted my, as soon as I understood, like you have, as soon as I understood 
and started to be more conscious about my choices and my thinking in my life, my life changed. Um, like it was amazing. I went from, you use the words taking responsibility. And I used to see myself as a victim to outside circumstances. And I changed mm -hmm. that victim mentality and moved into um, mastering my life, which I would now call self-authoring. We now are self-authoring our lives. We now get to write the yeah. script of our life. And I think that's beautiful and really mindful for people to pay attention to that, that you can, there's so much information out there today that you, you can have those insights, but if you don't have some form of accountability to do the work, which is what you're helping with men in particular, mm -hmm. I find if you don't have the accountability, you won't do the self-reflection, you won't do the work. Reflecting back on myself, 20 odd, almost 30 years ago, I had, um, yeah, I had somebody nudging me, getting me to do the self-reflection, encouraging me to journal, think about how I was turning up in the world. And mm. if I'd read that in a book, I wouldn't have done it. It's interesting that you say that, Georgia, because I did. I got over that first speed, speed bump myself, but then there was a point that I thought, this is good, but I need to maintain this. And I also need to grow and become better. And so it was then that I actually started I guess you could say I engaged a coach, but again, like you, there wasn't really coaches at that point. Um, but it was, I think he was more, more of a mentor mm -hmm. and he would, and he would really reflect me back to me, which was exactly what coaching and mentoring is, right? Reflecting the person back to the person and, and, and encourage them to look, to look deeper. Yeah. And so that, that's what he, that's who he was for me. And, I think, um, I think and that really yeah. helped me on the next stage. I think on, on, upon reflection, if I go back, I think one of the first things that helped me with that first nudge was actually a book a friend gave me. Yeah. And I read the book and I mm. remember at the, I was the age of, I don't know, just turned, just before I turned 30, I think. And um, he gave me this amazing book and I hadn't read a book since I was in high school. And I started reading and I've never stopped reading since he handed me that book. I realized that, hang on a minute, there's a lot I don't know. So I started reading ferociously. So Yeah, cool. What was the first book? The book that he gave me was Conversations with God. Oh, yeah, cool. Neil Donald Walsh. Yep, yep. Yeah. And I think there was also, in amongst that, he'd also given me the Celestine Prophecies. Ah, that's a great book, isn't it? Yeah. Both of them, definitely. Yeah, awesome. And then after that was going through this, um, some Bob Proctor's programs and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it started to really push, yeah, push the envelope on my belief systems about myself and creating a new version of myself. Thank God for that, hey? Yeah, me too. Absolutely. It's only when we do that really, when we really take responsibility and deeply self-reflect that we can start to create different results. Mm. What do you think prevents people doing that nowadays? Just out of curiosity, because I've just finished a, a seven-week program with a group of people and they've all had some profound and amazing changes on that journey and one of the the feedback I get the most with my one day workshops and my programs is thank god I've been able to stop and reflect that's been the biggest thing mm. and you know make those changes mm. so what do you think stopping people from doing that I think people there's a, there's a few things here that we could explore but I think the biggest thing is people as people I think they get stuck in the busyness of life. Mm. Um, they get stuck in the business of life. They don't see the tangible benefit to doing something different. It's almost like they feel like it's a waste of time, money and energy because they're supposed to be earning money, doing the housework, taking kids places, doing all the stuff that we do. But it's like, no, I don't have time to stop. What do you mean mm. stop? What, what's that? Then I won't do things. Um, but I think when we... I think the process, the, the journey of self-discovery, we start to understand that when we do stop and we allow ourselves to be in stillness for a period of time, um, we find the answers because the answers are all within. But I also think that people are afraid of doing that because when we stop, then we've got to take responsibility and we can't externalise it all and say, no, 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 I'm too busy to do all of that. We've got yeah. things to do. Yep. Yeah. I think too, when you said that, you know, the ability to stop, 
I think something in this day and age that prevents people is the ability to, to sit in silence. There's so much noise going on out there. You know, you get on social media and you can just continually keep scrolling and there's all this noise and it gets confusing. Mm. There's so much information out there and so many people out there claiming, I'm going to use that word claiming, claiming to be able to help people um, yet don't have the experience. They're coming from theory, not from actually having transformation themselves. Um, I think it can get very daunting and then people don't know where to turn. So what would you recommend somebody who, male or female, who is looking for you know, some form of change in their life, they know something's got to change. How would you help them make the make their way through that noise and to find something that's a, a good fit for them? So first of all, we've got to find resonance. There's, there's always going to be a resonance and, a, and, an, and an alignment um, with a person or a couple of people. So listen to that because that's your gut and your intuition and try to filter out all the rest of it. The next part is discernment and you really want... You, the person that you end up working with, you really want for them to have already walked the path. And you talked about theory. Um, there's a lot of books out there that people can read and then teach from that. But if, I, th- I think if you haven't walked the path, if you haven't you know, faced the fire and gone through the fire and come out the other end um, and develop the wisdom that comes along with that, I think that um, what you what you offer will be only theory based it won't be experiential so when you're looking for someone you want to really know that they've walked the path that you wish to go on yeah beautiful great great advice so for anyone who's having a resonance with michael right now and thinking yeah i'd love to love to work with you how do they get in contact with you uh, my website michaelloriacoaching.com and soon forging that's coming out very very soon the next couple of weeks um, plus, I've got a men's group on Facebook called Forging Excalibur, Creating Nights for Men. Beautiful. Excellent. So if anyone is feeling a sense or a pull towards Michael, I do recommend um, recommend his work. I have known Michael for a period of time now and uh, love the work he's, he's doing and seeing the transformation in the, in the lives of men and women also. So let's finish up, Michael. I've got one question for you. What What would be, if you could leave our listeners with one thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) one piece of i'm going to use the i say this all the time i'm going to use advice but something that you have experienced through your life that has really helped you it might have been something you've said today something you want to reiterate but what would be the one thing that you would love our listeners to walk away with today i would like to leave everybody with the joseph campbell quote and the quote is the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And so just very briefly, what that really means is that, and that's a lot about comfort zone. So if you're going to stay in your comfort zone, you're not going to find the answers to the problems that you think you have, and you're not going to find solutions to the issues that you have in life. So the cave you fear to enter will hold everything that you need in order to create a better life. Beautiful. What a wonderful way to finish up today's uh episode thank you so much michael as always it's so insightful and delightful chatting to you so thank you so much thanks georgia today is turning into the most curious adventure i've ever had 